Hey, Matthew. Hey, John. Do you know what time it is? Is it time to podcast? It's time for another Sun's Jam Session podcast session with you and me, man. <laughs> How you doing today? Dude, I'm doing really good. I didn't know if that was like the way you were starting the pod or what. So I played along. Yeah, you were a little standoffish for a second. You're like, what's this yeah. weirdo doing? First, I was like, who's talking to me? And then, then you looked at the Zoom call. You're like, oh, it's John. And I have my, yeah. my podcast microphone on and my, 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 <laughs> yeah. ear, my earphones are on. So it's surprising that somebody was starting to whisper in my ear. Yeah, great way to start this one, right? Yeah, throw a little curveball at you there. So welcome aboard. Welcome, Suns Jamsters. We enjoy the fact that you're hanging out with us once again here on the Suns Jam Session Podcast. It's Jam. It's John and Matthew. I'm John. He's Matthew. And we're super pumped that you're here today. I'm super pumped to do this pod. Looking forward to it all day. Uh, yourself? Yeah. I'm, dude, I look forward to these all the time. I can't wait. There's so much news now, too. So it's just like... I can't wait to like jump on top of it, you know? I know. It's coming at you like, Bruh. I mean, we we're just talking about Chris D'Elia just prior yeah. to starting this. And it's just like, it's one thing after another is going on in this crazy world. Yeah. That'll you know? probably take up half an hour of this podcast, right? Chris D'Elia? Yeah. I think we'll avoid yeah. that thing all together, okay. just like you Never should mind. avoid 16 year old girls, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so we'll, we'll pop into this one here really quick. Uh, first and foremost, I'd like to remind all of our Suns Jamsters to subscribe to the Bright Side of the Sun podcast network. That's where you can get the Suns Jam session that you listen to, as well as the Fanning the Flames podcast. Make sure that you follow the show on Twitter at Suns Jam. Follow us on Instagram at Suns Jam. And you can follow us on Facebook. Just look up Suns Jam Session. It's a great way to connect with the show. You can always email the show, session at gmail.com. Still getting a few emails to the old sunsreport at gmail.com email address. Avoid that one. I don't check it anymore. You can always follow me on Twitter at Darth Voida. You can follow Matthew on Twitter. At Matthew Lissy. We're super excited, super pumped to have this podcast for you. Don't know which way it's going to go, but it's going to go somewhere. I'm going to pop open this beer. I've got a Santan Brewing Company Juicy Jack Juicy Hazy IPA to pop into today. So let's... Oh, yeah, it's going to be a good one. You ready for this, Matthew? I'm ready. All right, cheers. Bring it on. All right, so we did start talking about we're, we're pumped up. We're ready for this podcast, but then we hear the terrible news. <laughs> Oh, Kelly Oubre Jr., he is out for the rest of the season. It's a continuation. And uh, it's funny, I was writing something about how the bench will succeed with Kelly Oubre in the starting lineup, and it looks like that's not going to happen. So scratch that, and I will be writing something else. But uh, what do you think? I mean, I kind of, after seeing his last interview where they asked him questions about him coming back, um, I was, from what I took, from the way he was presenting himself and how – you know, he was scratching his head, kind of a little bit out of it, not really ready to answer the question it looked like. I assumed he wouldn't really be back. I was really 80% that he would not be playing, so I'm not surprised about this. What do you think? I was actually more in the camp of like 20% chance that he would actually play. Because you think about right before – Oh, yeah, that's what I, that's every, what I said. I just said. Sorry. 
Oh, the eighty percent that he wouldn't play. Oh, is that what you said? <laughs> yeah. Oh well. <laughs> then I completely. Then I one hundred percent agree with you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think he was gonna play to begin with. I know that we were on the Suns Super Mega Pod uh, podcast a couple weeks ago with all the Suns fans, and yeah. a lot of people were, you know, kind of picking Kelly Oubre as their potential uh, Orlando MVP. And it's, it was still a coin flip, if not less, at that point. And it makes sense. I mean, he had, what, a torn meniscus. He had surgery right before everything kind of went down. So with an injury like that, it takes time for it to obviously heal, let alone get back into basketball shape. And with eight season, uh, regular season games left to play, I highly was doubting the fact that he would make an appearance for the Suns and risk any sort of minute injury, a tweak, anything that would not only hurt him long-term, but hurt his long-term uh, aspirations and potential contracts that lie ahead of him. So, you know, I know the exact interview you're referencing. Yeah, he seemed a little standoffish. He didn't really want to commit to anything because he really didn't know. I believe that he was hopeful. I believe that he wants to. I believe he's traveling with the team to Orlando, right? Yeah, he still is. That's what I heard yeah, today, that he's so, still going to travel with them. Which is fantastic. It just shows that Kelly's the soul of this team, and he wants to be with his teammates. I mean, think about that. That's a guy who does not have to voluntarily go into this bubble at Disney World, and he's still doing it because he wants to be around his guys. He probably miss hang, hanging out with the boys, and he wants to give his support and sit on the sideline. And the nice thing is him on the sideline with no fans, you'll be able to hear him hooping and hollering at his teammates during those eight games. So just because Kelly Oubre isn't going to be present on the court doesn't mean he won't be vocal and present for his team, which is, again, super valuable. It just I love Kelly Oubre for his team play. I love the fact that he was willing to put himself uh, in that situation regardless. I mean, you, you want those kind of players on your team, right? Definitely. And terrible, terrible news, but this of is course. the best news we can get right after is that he is going to be joining them. Um, there's something too, just about his play on the court where he's very herky jerky. So coming back with this injury, especially to his knee was a terrible idea. I almost didn't want him to come back just for that reason to yeah. where I can just see him injuring himself again. And whether or not he's a son in two years, I don't know. And whether or not he gets traded uh, this off season for something else, who knows, but in, Either way it goes, he'll he'll score because he's not going to play. He's not going to risk an injury. So he's either going to score with some big bucks from another team <laughs> or else he's going to come back and actually help the Suns actually, like, be a fully healthy squad for once. Um, so that's something we could have missed out because, again, the season is starting again in December. So we got to yeah. make sure that th they're not – because if this happened, he wasn't going to come back this season no matter what. Mm-hmm. So for him to sit out, it, it makes sense. And I'm very happy that um, he's going to Orlando. That's going to be huge seeing him on the bench because it's just a big hole in the team if he's not even there at all. Yeah, and you're right when you talk about his type of basketball play is not something that's going to be positive for anything that's uh, going on in his knees right now. You know, he's a high flyer. Yeah. He's herky-jerky. He stops on a dime and moves, you know, when he's going to the basket and going up for those rebounds. And, I mean, you fall down on another guy's ankle and tweak that ankle, well, the meniscus right above it, you know, and the knee could be tweaked too. And, again, it's just not worth it. It's eight games. Again, the Suns have, what, a 1 in 10,000 chance to actually make the playoffs? I mean, it's just not worth it in the long run. So my question for you is who's going to benefit from this? That's a good question. Um, 
Do you think Cam I, gets any starting time or? I don't think he does. I think um, Sarich is going to start for sure, right? We can agree on that. He's going to yeah. start. Him and uh, Bridges will be starting. So Bridges will go to the three. I Yeah, I very much so. Um, I would say Sarich would benefit, but he's already been a starter with the Suns. He's had his time. He's had his opportunity. I think Cam Johnson is going to have the biggest chance to really shine here because he's going to get more minutes, whether he Agreed. starts or not. He's going to get 15 more minutes or 20 more minutes per game, I think. It's going to be that drastic to where we're going to need him a lot more. And he's a different kind of player than Kelly, but I feel like this is a chance for him to really show up. And uh, I can't really – who else would benefit besides – I think it's – I don't know who else I think it it's be, Cam. Though. It would have to be Cam. Well, because you got to think about it. I mean, Kelly Oubre averages 18.7 points per game and 6.4 total rebounds. So who's going to benefit from that being out of the lineup right now, knowing that the rest of the lineup is going to be healthy? I think Cam Johnson's going to benefit on the points side of it. Like you said, he's going to get more minutes than he currently uh, was at the, you know, the back end of the season. Because, again, Kelly yeah. Oubre, he, well, let's see, he has 34 minutes played, the most of his career with the Suns. So somebody's got to make up those minutes. It's going to be a combination of things. You're going to have uh, Mikel Bridges getting some opportunity to play more three, which I actually really kind of like because your three is like Sean Marion-esque. It's somebody who can guard multiple positions if need be. If there's switches, if there's high pick and rolls, he's somebody who can drop down on – certain guys and really and again that's what makes getting a premier power forward so appealing is knowing that Mikael Bridges is kind of a three you know he doesn't have the body and the the uh, weight of a of a four but he's somebody who can play that three and I think with him playing the three like he said Sarge is going to benefit probably the most minutes wise but from an impact standpoint I think that Cam Johnson who was averaging 20 minutes a game prior to all of this going down is going to see that bump up to about 25 minutes a game. And if he can, and has an opportunity to take advantage of it, it's going to be fun to watch. Cause that's, you know, validation for every sports writer who, you know, said the Suns made a horrible pick last year in getting him. Yeah, exactly. And there's one guy too, coming back, he should be playing Kaminsky. So he's, yes. he's going to get more minutes, um, but he's going to be very valuable for the Suns. Um, it's going to be great to have him back. Cause I just, <laughs> I, cause they played the Robert Sarver uh, interview where he talked about, he's like, they asked him if Kelly Uber would be coming back. And he was so committed to him coming back and playing for the Suns <laughs> during the eight game stretch. And now he's not, but he also mentioned Frank Kaminsky. I haven't heard any updates, but I'm assuming he's hundred percent. He's ready. To yeah. Go. He's, he's ready to go from what I know, my, what my sources tell me. And it just goes to yeah. to show you that Robert Sarver doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground again. Yeah, he just, you know, he, I mean, he's going to be very confident what he says, and he said he's going to play. So, I don't know. I mean, there's no communication. Like, does Kelly <laughs> Oubre really talk to Robert Sarver? I know, like, Booker and Sarver are probably, like, good friends. That's what I hear. But I don't know if Kelly ever really talks to him. So See, he maybe really Booker know. plays Call of Duty with Sarver. He's he might. Part of, he's part of his, like, Warzone quads. And Uber yeah. just can't break it because if he could, he'd get in there and be like, listen, uh, I'm dropping in, headed towards the hospital building. Oh, by the way, Bob, I'm not going to be playing. Um, okay, I picked up an AR-15, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or he probably got- play- yeah, he probably plays like me, just mutes everybody. That's why, you know. Yeah, I don't like to talk to anybody. I have great headphones for uh, Call of Duty and people Ew. start talking and I'm just like, 
I keep it. I'll always keep it on the mute. I'm like, yeah, because all they do is complain. It's like, if you mess up, it's like, what the hell are you doing? That's the way like you play these games in NBA 2K. Everyone thinks you suck and it ruins everything. Oh yeah. You got to play with your friends. That's it. I I was playing today on call of duty. After I got home from work, I played like a couple matches. I like to play domination, which is a multiplayer mode where essentially there's, there's a, B and C and you're just trying to capture point a point B or point C. And you hear somebody complaining like, why is nobody protecting a, why is nobody protecting a, yeah. Fuck it, I'll go and I'll protect A. Don't worry, guys. I got A. I'm sitting here in the back. And then you just I died. I'm like, yeah, just shut up. Like, yeah. Oh man, drives me crazy. Uh, people be crazy, man. People be crazy. And speaking of crazy, let's talk a little bit about Kyrie Irving, huh? Hey, yeah, I defended this guy uh, last week, but um, I mean, I still am. I just, I mean, he's more of like a love guru kind of guy right now. Starting his own league. You know, he should be wearing a robe, walking around, and just having people. Oh, I know. He wants to be like Ice Cube in the big three. Yes. Like, I'm going to start my own league to kind of show. I, I, so just answer me this. And again, we talked about Kyrie on our last podcast. And he's somebody who speaks his mind, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, mm-hmm. I agree with some of the things he says. Other things, I think, are just kind of out there. And that's fine. You know, he's has the right to do that. I think it's uh, – actually kind of funny on some of them but again he's what the vice president of the players association yeah so he is but i've heard today elmino hassan was actually on um the dan levitard show he was talking about how a lot of players just don't want that position so it's more of like Kyrie took it because no one wanted it okay no one wants the responsibility so Kyrie took it it's more of that than like players choosing him to be i might be wrong on that but that's what i heard from Elmin and he he has really good intel on that stuff. So Kyrie is in a position that he doesn't want. and doesn't really carry any weight, it <laughs> sounds not, like. Yeah. And now he's talking about how he wants the players to start their own league. Why? In an effort to stick it to the NBA because the NBA is trying to make them play right now? It's, yeah. It's frustrating and because, one, Kyrie Irving is a member of the Brooklyn Nets, and because he's been injured, he doesn't have an opportunity to go to Orlando. So everything was all fine and hunky-dory. Didn't say anything. Is the vice president, mind you, of the Players Association. And once they kind of tell him, like, hey, by the way, there's no need for you to come because you're injured, all of a sudden he wants to start a new league. He's saying it's because this is going to detract from all the social injustice that's going on currently and it's going to hurt their movement. And I just don't see the logic or consistency in the things that he's saying. I think if... If that is true, if you feel that playing in the NBA right now is going to distract people from what's going on, if it's going to take away from the movement that's happening in America right now, I just don't get it. Because I think if you were playing, you have a better opportunity to reach more people and progress your, your movement and your ideals, right? No, you're totally correct. Um... I don't I don't know where his mind is really on this. Um him starting his own league though, or even the players starting their own league. Uh I don't know if it could happen. The biggest reason for me would be basically because would they really show up every game? Because I feel like if they had a season and they had their own league, Kyrie, if he was a coach or players coach or whatever in this league, I feel like he'd be like, Yeah, we we're not gonna play today. We're just not gonna play. You can count as a loss, we don't need to do it. I would see stuff like that. You know, it's like when can you really count on this guy to follow through on things, especially when it comes to basketball? Like he's been so absent 
And ever since he actually got hurt this year, which I don't even like if, if he's really hurt, whatever yeah, he's, yeah. he's made some comments about the nets and how they need to trade and do all this stuff. So he's all over the place. And I don't know if the players really take him seriously anymore. And I think, I don't know if we should, I don't think, of course we shouldn't, but he gets you <laughs> thinking, but sometimes just like, okay, maybe he is a little bit crazier than I thought, but maybe not. This is just who he is and you can't change him. But I even heard like Dwight Howard, he said that a lot of players want to speak up against playing in the bubble, but they can't because they're afraid of it. Um, so I don't know, like if they're afraid to talk to um, Adam Silver or anybody in management about this, do you think they would even be more comfortable to go up to Kyrie and talk to him about it? Because I don't, I wouldn't feel <laughs> yeah, comfortable it, talking to Kyrie about if he, if he was the commissioner of his own league. Yeah. Yeah, not a even, chance. But even if he's in his position now, like, can you talk to this guy about things that you want to be done in the league? Like, because Kyrie has his own agenda. And I feel like if it doesn't meet that, of course, like a lot of managers or even Adam Silver, who knows if he would even listen to that? I don't know. I don't know, man. I I don't really know. I think that, you know, and again, what we're kind of talking about is Kyrie was telling other players they should start their own league. And I think it was in a uh, Nets video chat or something. Supposedly, yeah. Yeah, and I just – I don't understand how it would make sense. Where do you get the money for that? Where do you get the funding? If you're trying to say, hey, the NBA is forcing us to play, then why is your response like, let's just start our own league so we can play? Like, it just – it doesn't make sense. And – you know, Kyrie, I love him as a basketball player. I mean, the guy is phenomenally talented. And I've, I'm, I'm just learning to tune him out more and more. I'm glad he's not a member of the Phoenix Suns because, I mean, you heard it when he was a member of the Boston Celtics and Bill Simmons would talk about him all the time. Like, it, it drives you crazy. You have no idea yeah. what he's feeling today and how he's going to respond or react. It's just inconsistent. You know, it's, it's yeah. almost like bipolarism you know, on kind of how he approaches individual topics. One minute, one minute he's hot, the next minute he's cold. So when you have the opportunity you have with the, uh, with the, with Adam Silver, you have such a great commissioner and someone who will do anything for players, do anything for anybody in the league. Like how can you go around and say you want to start your own league when you have this guy as your commissioner? Like he's never been seen before. Some guy that actually will, he is in everything you see NBA. He is always in the front. He's always doing an interview. He's always making sure that his face is shown is and his voice is heard. Um, just really in front of any kind of confrontation or any kind of league changes or anything like that. Uh, it's something we've never seen before. So I don't, I hope Kyrie doesn't spoil it. And, you know, and some players agree to what Kyrie wants to do with a new NBA. Um, I just that would be very devastating, but it could ha- it could maybe happen. I, I doubt it. Anything I doubt is possible it. now, man. I, I doubt it. If anything was to happen, I would say that you know if Mike Trout got together and said, "Hey, let's start our own baseball league," I feel like that has more plausibility to occur yeah. than a new basketball league at this point. Because if you think about it, you know the NFL and the AFL merged in the late '60s. The NBA and the NBA did the same. Major League Baseball hasn't had any challenger to its league since, like, what, the 1919 era? I have no idea. I mean, it's been so long. It's been 100 years since the American League and the National League kind of merged together. It'd be interesting if a few baseball players, and I don't know if you saw the tweets yesterday, where literally every one of them is like, tell us when and where. Every one of them verified on Twitter. Tell us when and where. Tell us when and where. 
because the issue you're kind of having in Major League Baseball right now is the owners are not providing a start date and where they're going to play to the players. They're in, in an effort to get what they want. They're holding out essentially by not providing the information. And therefore the players are just like, okay, we're being made to look like the bad guys. Like we're the greedy, you know, uh, richy riches of the world wanting all the cash delivered to us in order to play. Yeah. But the owners are being just as greedy, but they just kind of have a little bit more business practice at it. I mean, a lot of them are, freelance capitalists and guys who made a lot of their money doing things that are probably not hundred percent legal and are cutthroat businessmen. And that's how they're doing. They're almost like freezing out the players right now, you know, and they're just saying, Hey, just tell us when and where to play and we'll be there, but they're not doing it. So they get to kind of their time frame on when they want things to occur. Uh, I totally took that topic and just threw a curveball, no pun intended on that, <laughs> yeah, but, but, but that's where baseball's at. And it's yeah. just, again, it's just so sad. And I'm so glad that we don't have that issue in the NBA. Kyrie's over in the corner chirping, He'll always be the guy over in the corner chirping, just saying random crazy shit. Yeah, and I think you need that. <laughs> I think ever <laughs> since you left LeBron, dude, it's the uh, the mental illness tree from LeBron. A lot of people that come from well, his but tree. Do, you th- do you think that he was having a lot of these opinions and LeBron was just very good at kind of keeping it under wraps? I mean, LeBron controls the media around him. You know, maybe in the locker yeah. room, Kyrie's in the corner, you know, saying some random shit, you know, like, why doesn't Burger King sell Big Macs, you know? And LeBron's just like, hey, man, Kyrie, that doesn't make any sense, okay? Because it's McDonald's, that's why. And he just kind of kept him shut up in the corner and controlled the media around it. And then once he broke away from the LeBron media bubble, he had the freedom to, one, be the best player on the team, but, two, to, you know, have the microphones in his face when it mattered. And we've been hearing just crazy shit ever since. Yeah, that's the thing. LeBron was just such a huge, huge, huge star. Mm-hmm. He overshadowed him so much. Like, uh, even if Kyrie made a peep about anything, you wouldn't hear it. Um, so I don't. I'm sure he kind of wishes he was back with LeBron, but too late now, man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. So you're <laughs> you're talking about uh you're talking about the Dan Lebetard show. Tell me a little bit more about what Almino Hassan had on that. Oh, so it was the. Uh, what is it? It's um, the local hour they have. So they have like a local hour in Miami because that's where they're based. And, local? Uh, local de Cabeza? Yeah, local. Same. And uh, Amino Hassan was actually on there. They were telling a story before they went on air about Shaq and how when he played with the Suns, um, he wanted to take the team to um, the Super Bowl at the time. And I guess Terry Porter told him, nope, we're having practice the next day. And they had practice instead of going to the Super Bowl. So instead of going to the Super Bowl with your teammates and having a great time, they had a lousy practice. And Almin was talking about how that was the start of the downfall of Terry Porter, which obviously wasn't really long lived. I don't think it was going to be because I don't know, it just never seemed like the right fit anyways. But it's just can you imagine, like, I would never have the balls to really be a coach and tell Shaq, no, you can't, I know, you can't right? go to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Can you imagine doing that? I don't know. I just wanted to bring it up because anytime I hear anything about the Suns, I got to bring it up on the podcast because not very so often you hear a lot of cool stuff. And I'm sure I'll mean, because he used to work for the Suns. He has a lot of stories yeah. and stuff. So it'd be awesome to just hear him go off about anything he's seen and all that he heard that'd be great man (laughs) well here's what's funny when you were telling me this story before we got on the podcast here i forgot terry porter was a coach for the suns because you (laughs) were talking about terry porter i'm like what the guy who played for the blazers in like the 90s what the who the fuck what are you talking about and then it's like oh yeah he briefly coached the suns and that was pretty much the beginning of the end for him when he's telling Shaq no 
And I can understand why he probably did it. But at the same time, like, yeah, how do you say no to Shaq? A guy who's won four rings at that point, a guy who knows what it takes to gel a team, mm-hmm. and he's trying to do so. And you're like, no, 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 no. Let's have a shitty practice instead. Funny stuff. I mean, th- that would be something I would try to do just to gain some confidence like in myself and try to take order with the team. But it's always <laughs> a bad thing to do, man. And it's Shaq. <laughs> Yeah, and it's Shaq, and it's a lot. It's a good time at the Super Bowl too. Actually, going to the Super Bowl that might have been better for the team than a freaking practice. Oh, you know? exactly. If like Ty Jerome is there, I'll tell him no. We're we're practicing, you know. But if Shaq yeah. is walking up, like, okay, is that, is that what you want to do, big fella? Okay, that's that's what we'll do. Yeah. So uh, let's talk real quick about uh, what Shams was reporting on the bubble memo. They're starting again to provide a little bit more insight into what's occurring when everything comes back in late July. I believe it's June 23rd, so we're just under a week away until they uh, players have to announce whether or not they're actually going to attend, correct? I believe you're correct. Yeah, so I mean, we'll know within the next week or so all the players who are you know, just going to raise their hand and kind of like what Dwight Howard said, you know, like there's a lot of guys who are probably afraid to say that they're not – ready and willing to go or feel safe enough to go to Orlando. And I've said it before and I'll say it again, you know, that's respectable. If they don't want to go, don't go. That's the, the continual thing I believe in this society as a whole right now, not just for basketball players. If you're afraid to go to the grocery store right now, because you have a fear of catching COVID, then don't go. And the same thing goes for these players. So we'll know in about a week, which players have chosen to stay home, which is completely fine. Stay with your families. They don't want to either catch COVID or they don't want to go into the, the bubble and, you know, not knowing how long they're going to stay. I think for a lot of sons, I honestly don't think we're going to have anybody who's going to say no because we know we're only going to be there for eight games. Yeah, I don't know who – I'm trying to think even across any team, anybody. I can't think of anybody who's going to say no either. Um, but It'll you, keep, be you keep hearing that – yeah, you keep hearing that players – Oh, some like half and half or else 25% of players just don't want to go for those reasons because of Corona, because of the safety. Um, so I don't, I don't know, man, I can't think of anyone in the Suns, but I mean, I, of course I don't know them personally, but I just, for the opportunity they have, and it's, it feels like the safest way to get this going is mm-hmm. they have it all planned out. And they're even talking about how it's going to be crazy for these players to be locked up that much or that long, but they're going to be locked up. But, weren't we all just locked up for like three months supposedly like yeah so what is the big deal and supposedly you're supposed to keep being locked up you're supposed to still stay in your house you're still supposed to like work from home a lot of companies still to the end of september so i don't understand the difference in how these players are going to go insane when they're supposedly supposed to be keeping it safe at home too as well that's the one thing i can't i can't understand i don't know I I think you're not with your family and it's not as much of a laxed environment. There's heightened. I mean, think about it. If you're at home and you've been self quarantined for the past three months, every time you do something, you don't have to get tested. It's like, Oh man, I need to go to fries today. Oh, got to get tested. Oh, I'm tested on my way back. You're not constantly being monitored by people whose job it is to ensure that they can do the social tracing and to ensure your social distancing. So that's kind of the difference. It's going to be like the lockdown that a lot of people have been through, but heightened security with a lot of eyes on them. I don't think it's going to be that controlling. I really don't. I think it's something like they have to have something written. They have to have something that we can see like, Hey, they're being super safe. I honestly don't think it's going to be that controlling to where they're going to be tested every day. Uh, I know there's a whole handbook about it, but Mm -hmm. 
a lot of rules, but I don't think, I think as it goes on, it's going to be more relaxed because as this goes on, I feel like the coronavirus is going to shrink. That's just what I think. I don't know. Maybe it yeah, won't. Who, Maybe it'll spike. Who knows? who knows? But if it does start to like go down, then the players probably, it'd be probably more relaxed place to be at. I would think, right. Or no, <laughs> I would think, I would think so. I would think so. Yeah. Um, Shams Trania reported that players are going to have amenities such as lounges, pools, barbers, 24-hour VIP concierge service, uh, daily movies, lawn games, golf. So all these different things are going to be occurring on the Orlando campus to keep the guys engaged when they're not playing. So, I mean, it almost sounds like they're going on uh, to like a country club. It's just they just have to be there 24 hours. Um, What do you think of all those different things that they're providing? I think it it reminds me of when I was watching like a Better Call Saul because there's a there's a part where they're trying to build the underground lab, and uh, they are basically in a quarantine shed. But the Russians that come in to help build it <laughs> don't know where they're at, so they're trapped in. And like a lot of these things they talked about having were actually in that huge shed they had. So it reminds me of that to where they're going to be go completely insane, but they will have the outdoors. <laughs> I'm th- I'm like where where are the women going to be at? Where where are the women at? Do you think, because I'm just saying, like, these players, there's no way they're not going to have access to women. I know they're going to have their families, but a lot of them don't have families. Yeah, what's James Harden going to do? Wives. A lot of, yeah, a lot of them don't have girlfriends. So I'm just saying the rules, I feel like, will be more relaxed than you think, and I think there's an underground tunnel somewhere to get these honeys in. <laughs> well, <laughs> Shams reported that there's 24-hour <laughs> VIP concierge service, okay? Oh, okay, so okay, you get what I'm saying. Can you read between a couple lines there? You oh, know, it's I, yeah, 24 I hour VIP oh, concierge service. So okay. there's right, there your answer, James Harden. You know, there's no underground my tunnel. Bad. It's an Uber coming in with the honeys. All right, I still think there's tunnels there somewhere. <laughs> I do, well, not in Florida. If there are, there's gators in there, and it's terrifying. Oh yeah, no, you can't have them over there. I okay. do think it's funny that <laughs> they reported that there's going to be lawn games available for these guys. Lawn games, like. <laughs> yeah. Can you picture LeBron James is out there and he's playing against Anthony Davis. They're playing like cornhole or like polo. They're on the back of horses riding around like yeah. polo. Like, I don't know. Well, lawn if, games. if they're as competitive as like Jordan, then they'll be playing anything for money, man. No, right? yeah, true. There's probably going to be a lot of gambling going on. That's oh, actually a yeah. really interesting point. Yes. And again, if they have golf available, like if I was them, which Lord knows I'm not, I'm not anything close. But that's what I would do. I would golf and play basketball. And that would be yeah. fun as shit. Well, there's another thing. You have basketball. It's the playoffs. They should really be focused on the games. Mm-hmm. So I'm just – I know you have to have your extra shit, but you have to focus on the games. I mean, I would think. So a lot of that should just be studying film and all that. But I don't know. They can do what they want. Well, exactly. Well, they really can't do what they want. but <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> All right, next up, next thing we're going to talk about here is our favorite topic, and that's the draft. Trade the pick. All right, well, that's the end of that conversation. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So the Bleacher Report recently put out their newest mock draft, and of course they have the Suns at 10, which is where we're all expecting them to fall. I know that they're going to do the draft lottery on August 25th, and that's when we'll officially know where the Suns are going to find their newest member of the Phoenix Suns and or trade that pick. But in the Bleacher Report's newest mock draft, they actually have the Suns taking small forward slash power forward Isaac Okoro 
who's a freshman from Auburn. Now, this is somebody who we haven't discussed on the pod. That's why I brought it up for this podcast, because he's somebody new and we need something new to talk about. So what do you think of Isaac Okoro, number 23 from Auburn? What do you got? So this was on Bleacher Report. So I had to fact check this with uh, Kevin O'Connor over at the Ringer. He actually had him going number five in the mock draft, this guy. Yeah. So, I mean, I watched highlights of him. He's very athletic. Some guy, he can't shoot, but very athletic, high flyer guy, the most athletic in the draft. So it's like kind of like when there's no one in the draft, you kind of try to go for the guy that's like the most athletic and the highest upside. Seems like this guy kind of fits that category. Here's what I kind of have on him. One, referencing Kevin O'Connor's draft guide, which in my opinion is the best draft guide that's out there. Not only because it has great information, but also has some like nice graphics. It looks good. It looks good. It you looks know, it's, really it's very good. it's very well graphically designed, which I can always appreciate. Mm-hmm. And he says that he has shade. He's shades of Gerald Wallace and Justice Winslow. So, not somebody who blows you away. But at the tenth pick, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't expect somebody to really blow us away. Um, yeah. I will say that in watching him, he's kind of one of those guys who does a lot of things well, but doesn't do anything elite. You know, he, he's a really good defender. He can rebound, he can pass, smart decision maker. Um, you know, not a great shooter, but can hit the three a little bit, uh, subpar from free throws. So, you know, my kind of first thought on him is he's not a James Jones kind of guy. James Jones like to likes guys who are, Elite at one skill. Think about it. He drafts Cam Johnson, elite three-point shooter. He, he, uh, he drafts Ty Jerome, who is an elite passer and, and has elite court vision. Supposed to be. Supposed to be. Yeah. You know, but he was one of the highest IQ guys coming yes. out of the draft. So he, he's not drafting these guys who are supposed to be great all-around players, a la Josh Jackson or Marquise Chris or Alex Len, you know, a guy who – has does a lot of things well but does nothing great and that's mm-hmm. how i best can describe isaac okoro in reading kind of the reviews on him watching a lot of the youtube videos that are out there and again when you watch those youtube videos you're seeing the best possible version of this player you're seeing the highlight films that the auburn tiger guys are throwing out there like this is our dude and you watch it and you're like okay this is it's basic bitch and that's how I kind of feel about Isaac Okoro. He's a Dude, wing. That's... Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, I just, I mean, he's like, he's an athletic wing who I feel could come in the league. And he's a dime a dozen these days, in my opinion. Yeah, you know? but that's a, that's a, I just cut you off again. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> that's uh that's a perfectly well put with James Jones, man. That's, he really accepts players for who they are, not trying to turn them into something that they're not. And, it always goes back to that interview with him about DeAndre Ayton where he talks about, can't we just accept DeAndre Ayton for who he is? Yeah. Now that you point that out, it's like, duh. Everyone even added to the team is just like they're really good at something, but they're not going to do everything. Well, and think of who James Jones is. Who is he as a player? He, yeah, he was a good three-point shooter. He was a right? guy who would come in and was a great three-point yeah. shooter, and that's all he did. So he understands from being a member of championship teams with LeBron and just being around LeBron for what, like eight years or whatever, uh-huh. that, that what you need to be successful is you need a couple glue guys and you need some specialists. 
And the draft is where you can go out and you can get those potential specialists and the great guys that you're going to trade for or pick up in free agency. And I feel like he's trying to set this team up so they can make that big move and get somebody. Uh, but through the draft, he's going to identify a skill that the team needs and he's going to go for it. And Isaac Okoro, again, I just don't feel like he's a guy who has that ability. You look at somebody like LaMelo Ball, he is an elite scorer and playmaker. So that's somebody who would be on his list. Thank you. Well, you're uh, on my side on that, huh? Yeah, I think I, I definitely think that LaMelo Ball is the best player available in this draft. I just don't think we have a shot in, you know, in hell to get yeah. him. Uh, Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin w- is a fantastic athlete, okay, and has explosive power. Those are his elite skills. So he's, and he's, you know, uh, an elite interior scorer. He's not going to be somebody who is, you know, hitting threes. And you're and so if he's, if he's there, he's a great guy to go get because you know what you're getting with him. You're not trying to get him like Dragon Bender and make him somebody that he's not. Dragon Bender wanted to shoot the three. And the Suns yeah. were always like, no, man, when you get that ball, go to the hole, go to the hole. Igor Kokoshkov, uh, Jay Triano, both those guys were trying to make him into something he's not, trying to make him into a post-up player because he's seven feet tall. And his best time with the Sun is when he was a rookie and when he'd come out in the court and he would just play the way that he was used to playing as a young player and he would shoot the three ball. And he had, when, he, when Dragon Bender had confidence playing, he was so much fun to watch. And once they started kind of delving into the layers of who he is as a player, trying to coach him into being someone that he wasn't, he started to falter. He started to lose that confidence. You could see it on the court. I mean, I used to think that Dragon Bender was cold as ice, man. I used to say that all the time when he was a rookie. And then halfway through his rookie season, all of a yeah. sudden, like, he's trying to drive the hole. He's not a great dribbler. He's trying to do post-up moves. He can't post up at all because he's got that big body. He's a young guy. He doesn't know how to use it yet. So, I mean, I know I've talked a lot here, but that's no, how it's I that, kind of feel about you, Isaac Okoro. You did, but it's that simple. It's like something I don't even really look at. It's like, you know, you got to take these guys when they're younger, and you can't force them to be something else because that takes a lot away from their confidence. And I feel like if they're trying to be something – they know in their head, they're like, I don't know if I can do this. And someone keeps pushing them to be that player. It's just not going to happen a lot of the times. And I love how James Jones drafts. So I do too. Let those players be who they are. Let them gain that confidence in the first two years of their career. And from there, then you can start to add things. I mean, look at Devin Booker. Yeah. Devin Booker is a guy who came in. They're like, listen, you're an elite scorer. So what did he do? He score. Scores, you know, off of pick and rolls. Yeah. scores his mid in the mid range, you know, scores from three. And now he's adding more things to his game because he has that confidence. So he's I an think exception, that though. he is I think he's the exception. He's to the had role. so much time to work on whatever he, he wanted. Very, very true. Yeah. It's Said just five so overlooked. years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else can you say about that? Not much. Another thing that Bleacher Report put out there is an article called the free agent. Every NBA team can't afford to lose. And for the Phoenix Suns, they said Dario Saric. So if you go through the upcoming free agent list, we talked about it a little bit on our last pod. You have Dario Saric, you have Aaron Baines, Frank Kaminsky, Javon Carter, and Czech Diallo. So according to Bleacher Report, it's Dario Saric that we can't afford to lose. Do you agree with that or do you think it's somebody else? Yes, because if we go into the offseason and we lose this guy, it's someone that I believe I would be pretty upset that we let him go. Um, just because it's, I don't feel like Dario Saric is really a one-year one year and done guy. I don't believe he is on a team. I think he can build something on a team and be something like, you know, someone that's there for three or four years to help a team get to where they want to be, kind of build on a team's success. And the more, 
the quicker that Dario Saric really accepts who he is, where he's the guy that can build a fucking house with a hammer and a nail. Amen. But it can also just, you know, he's the hustle dude off the bench, the guy that's going to break his fucking back. I don't know why he cursed so much right there, dude. I, it's something You're in Dario with the refs. No, but it's Dario just accepting of who he is. So once he gets to that, he he definitely will have a role on this team more. But if he left, like, wouldn't you be upset over all the others? More upset? I I don't know. Javon Carter's the guy. If he leaves, yeah, I'll probably right. be most upset. Yeah. But if you look at the success of this team, I do believe that Dario has to be a part of that team in order for <laughs> it to occur. Yeah. Um, and here's the reason why Dario Saric is one of those good building blocks guys that every team needs to be successful. We've talked about it before. He needs to be a bench guy. He needs to accept that role. He needs to accept that he's going into the fifth year of his career and he's had an opportunity to start and he hasn't put up the numbers, but you put him on the second team coming in and the way that he hustles and the effort he puts in maximizing the talent that he has, uh, it's productive and it's going to help a team win. If he accepts that teams will win with him on it. And that's one reason I want him to stay with us. I want him to come and stay with us and win with us versus going to another team, having him have this epiphany and realization. And all of a sudden that team starts winning. And then, you know, if we play, because what'll happen is he'll go to another team. He'll end up going to like San Antonio, who's on a backswing of their, you know, their title runs and he'll help them get to that next level. Right. As the suns are rising, we'll meet them in the playoffs and Dario Saric will kill us in the playoffs. Tell me that's not going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah. So, I mean, you heard it right here. June 17th is the day that we're recording this. I'm calling that Saric will end up with San Antonio somehow, some way and kill us in the playoffs in about three years. <laughs> um, it, but it, the nice thing is we have that qualifying offer of $5 million we can give to him. And yeah. given the fact that the cap is most likely going to shrink due to the COVID-19 pandemic, it should be enough to keep him. And I'm hoping that the Suns do make that qualifying offer and keep him. Because again, I mean, go back and look at all these teams that are successful. They have those guys that are just solid bench guys that come in and they're not flashy, but they just come in and they get the job done. Like you said, he comes in with his hard hat and his lunch pail and he builds a house with a hammer and nail. That's Dario Saric right there. Yeah. Anything else on Dario? No, we'll save him for next week though, man. Cause you know, he'll be back. Always yeah. comes back. Yeah, it's like we always talk about Dario, Kelly, and uh, Bridges a lot. Yeah. The draft. Yep. Uh, I don't think we have any mailbag questions on this podcast, so we don't have to. What the hell? Yeah. It's all right. It's okay. But you know what? We're looking for you, Jamsters. Hit us up, man. And you don't have to ask us a bunch of historical questions, the what ifs. Yes. They're, they're great, and I will answer them. But you can also ask us random stuff. What's yeah. my favorite movie? I've never told you guys. Yeah. What makes me giggle? Yeah. We don't know. Well, maybe we do with Matthew. Everything. So <laughs> everything does. All right. Well, next up, we're actually going to talk about the Dream Team Suns draft that 98.7 Arizona Sports held last week. And essentially what they did is something very similar to what Fanning the Flames did almost a month ago to the day. And what they did is they got four people together and they drafted their own Phoenix Suns teams, utilizing every player in Suns history as the talent pool to draft from. The difference between the Fanning the Flames uh, fantasy draft and the Birds and Gamble fantasy draft is the Birds and Gamble fantasy draft actually just drafted 10 players, whereas Fanning the Flames drafted five starters, one sixth man, and a head coach. So do you want to go team by team and then kind of talk about those teams? Yeah, we can just talk about um, who they – I mean, what teams they have. I mean, just even going over, I kind of feel like I know who I like the best. But... Okay. Yeah. Well, so what's interesting is I actually uh, – I wrote an article about this. 
it's uh comes out tomorrow so we're recording this on wednesday so most likely by the time you're hearing oh this. did you do that because it was suggested by Justin. oh yeah oh, yeah. oh did you do it oh, okay. i'm like the bright side of the sun mel kuiper anytime there's anything draft related they're like ah great it I'm like, okay <laughs> so i sat down and i went through the different teams there's uh jordan bird who's the producer of arizona sports 98.7 you have team gambo team burns and then team Cazell, and that's uh sarah Cazell. she's the uh, anchor for the burns and gambo show she reads the news yeah. so who's your favorite team let's just start with that honestly i'm gonna go jordan okay team bird so yeah i mean barkley goes first i feel like anytime people draft it's like barkley first nash second or else vice versa yeah yeah uh, but if you just go through his team you got barkley dan marley jason kidd dick van arsdale stefan marbury my favorite shaquille o'neal uh leandro barbosa danny manning neil walk and michael finley it just seems like a solid team i even because he had Jason Kidd in the third round, that's where he got him. And I think that he kind of fell right there, honestly. And anytime yeah. you get stuff on Marbury, I mean, I'm all over that. I don't know if you can start them both together, but so far that's my favorite. What team did you like? So first and foremost, I went kind of nerd on this as I typically do. And what I chose to do is utilize statistics to kind of assist me in figuring out which, had, which team was the best team. So essentially what I did is the same thing I did for the Fanny and the Flames podcast is I graded on a curve. I took each lineup and I added up their career Suns totals in different offensive and defensive categories. And then once I found those totals, I graded on a curve. That is to say the team that had the highest mark, like for example, Team Cassell had the highest amount of points per game at 175. That became the 100% mark. And then the second team who had 165.5, got a percentage of that, which was 94.5%, and that's an A. And if they had, you know, 150, that's a B because it's, it falls in the percentage marks like, you know, we're grading. Yeah. So I did that for points per game, assists per game, rebounds per game, steals per game, and blocks per game. So that's five categories. The sixth and final category was actually my subjective opinion on how the roster was built and how I thought the team would perform. And I gave 95% to my top team, and then I did – 2.5% increments below that to get to 87.5% for my lowest team. So 95 for number one, 92.5 for number two, 90 for number three, and 87.5 for number four. Why? Because every one of these teams is fantastic. I mean, you can't lose with any one of these. So that's how I initially kind of came up with my grades. So the team that you're talking about, Team Bird, their starters were Jason Kidd, Dick Van Arsdale at the two, Dan Marley, Charles Barkley, and Shaq. Obvious starting five, that's solid. And their bench was Stefan Marbury, Leandro Barbosa, Danny Manning, Neil Walk, and Michael Finley. So when they actually were completed with doing this draft, the next day they had Vince Murata, they had John Bloom, they had Alvin Adams, and they had, gosh, they had one other person. Uh, Tom Leander? Tom Leander, that's right. Yeah. They, they had Tom Leander, and they provided their grades, and they actually gave Team Bird the winning uh, the, their winning nod. Really? So they agreed with you. That was the top. And then Gambo's and Burns' team came in second, tied for second, and then Cassell's team came in last. So my team that actually came out number one was Gambo's team. And that had Steve Nash at point, Davis second, or playing the, playing the two guard, Connie Hawkins, Larry Nance, and DeAndre Ayton. That's your starting five. 
and their bench, and this is probably the reason I liked it the most, is I love their bench more than any other team. They had Charlie Scott, who was a fantastic scorer for the Suns, uh, Grant Hill, Maurice Lucas, who we talked about a bunch in the 83-84 podcast when we were going through that season, Jay Rich, who was one of my all-time favorite, favorite uh, Phoenix Suns, and Mark West, who's the one son I would love to hug the most. So based on all the statistics and everything that I did, and, I, and I'll go real quick and I'll give the other, uh, the other teams. Team Burns, he had Paul Westfall at point, Jeff Hornacek at the two guard, Joe Johnson, Tom Chambers, and Amari Stoudemire with a bench of Dennis Johnson, Goran Dragic, Paul Silas, Channing Fried, and P.J. Tucker. And Team Cassell had KJ, Devin Booker, Sean Marion, Truck Robinson, and Alvin Adams as their starting five, and Eddie Johnson, Cliff Robinson, Raja Bell, Marching Gortat, and Gail Goodrich on their bench. Whew, it's mm-hmm. a lot. It's a lot. But I had uh, Team Gamba winning with a 93.02 overall percentage, with Team Bird coming in about a point behind that, Team Cassell coming in like less than two points under that, and then Burns being easily the worst team. So, so you can read all that on uh, Bright Side of the Sun, but we can talk about these teams now that I've talked for an hour about them. <laughs> so which, I mean, even if you're taking Stephon Marbury with the fifth pick, you think that's like the best bench player that should be a starter out of all these teams? Or else maybe, who else would it be? Joe Johnson? Because are you starting no, Joe Johnson? No, Joe Johnson was a starter. It was a starter, okay. Yeah, Joe Johnson was a starter. Um, I think that's like the best pick off a of bench that you can have actually as a starter. I think you're right. I mean, because Grant Hill's the first off the bench for one team. Dennis Johnson's a really good one, just defensively, but you're not going to get yeah. a lot of offensive production out of him. But I think Stephon Marbury is probably – I remember when they did the draft last time with Fanning the Flames, and they got you know through their five starters and their one bench player. I don't yeah. think anybody took Stephon Marbury, and I was actually kind of shocked. I would love to have Stephon Marbury coming off the bench. You look at that team that you're referencing, Team Bird. And with he wasn't like, taken at all? No, they didn't take oh, them. Okay, but, yeah, but they but they took a lot less players in that draft. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But okay. I mean, the fact that he wasn't like I love Stefan Marbury. You know, oh, yeah. I would take him if I had a team, I would take him over Jason Kidd. And that's saying a lot. I know Me that J- Jason Kidd won an all defensive team in nineteen ninety nine and two thousand one. He was on the all defensive team, second team in two thousand. Uh, all NBA guy, uh, first team in nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one with the Suns, So, I mean, he was fantastic with the Suns, but for some reason I just wasn't the biggest fan of him. But when Marbury came, I loved him. Oh man. Yeah. See, I'm going through it. And I think that really when I see Gambo's team after I saw Jordan's, I was like, I feel like that's going to be the one that wins when you went through all that percentage stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's the one that's going to come out on top. And if I was doing this draft, I had the second pick. I probably would have won Steve Nash. Oh, yeah. And then probably Devin Booker instead of Walter Davis. Yeah, but see, that's where we differ because I'm yeah. bigger on Davis. See, uh, yeah, I know. Exactly. I wouldn't even think Walter Davis because everyone, I feel like, forgets about him, especially, like, my age. Um, so, I don't know. It's, it's really cool. I'm glad they did this. Um, I think it was something that everyone at the time was trying to do, you know? Oh, Everyone's yeah. just doing their drafts, doing their – uh, top threes, all this stuff, or top tens, anything. So, um, dude, that I don't know. I yeah, I guess I would choose Jordan's team overall. Well, and here's what I wrote about uh, a Gambo's team. 
I said, this is my favorite squad and the numbers back it up. I just love these players. Nash at the point, who's the favorite of nearly every Suns fan under 30. Davis at the two, who's my favorite shooting guard in Suns history. Keep it up. Keep working at it, book. You'll get there. With Hawkins, Nance, and Aiton, I honestly believe that this team is era-less. That is, you can put this roster in any NBA era, and they have the ability to, like Clint Eastwood says in Heartbreak Ridge, adapt and overcome. Length, check. Athleticism, check. Finesse, check, check. Nash would run this offense into a high-flying frenzy that would be posterizing the NBA and be stellar to watch. And then there's the bench, the leadership of Grant Hill, the scoring of Charlie Scott, the enforcer, Maurice Lucas, providing physicality, Jay Rich scoring from the perimeter and dunking on challengers, and the lovable Mark West. And then you look at it, his team was the top team in in, uh, rebounds per game and blocks per game. And then second in scoring. So, I mean, it's just from a complete – and, again, when you do these drafts, you're not sitting there like, I got a draft to the stats. But that's how I'm going to utilize – I'm going to grade them uh, to give it some context. And I think that, again, I just – I think this team would be timeless, man. Nash and Walter Davis. Walter Davis would go fucking crazy. And then you got Connie Hawkins and Larry Nance, two long athletic guys uh, who can dunk. And then DeAndre Ayton down low. I just don't see how any team in any era could stop it. Whereas – the team bird with Jason Kidd running the point, Dick Van Arsdale, who can't shoot the three ball, really Dan Marley, Charles Barkley and Shaq. You have a great rebounding team that can uh, play some fantastic defense, but I feel like with Barkley and Shaq and Marley, they would clog the paint and they'd be a team that would be great in like 2003, not in any era, let alone the era that we're currently playing in. Mm-hmm. And the only reason Amari and Sean Marion really go number three and four is because of Steve Nash. And Steve Nash, he hasn't played with anybody on Gambo's team except for Grant Hill, Jason Richardson. Yeah. So you know everybody else's stats, everybody else's just goes right through use, the roof. Just yeah, at least times two. So you're right, adaptable. And I plus like I can see this team winning a championship. I know, right? Well, of course, <laughs> it's like an all-time Suns team. I would hope yeah. so. I'm not so sure. Well, then you yeah. look at like Burns's team, and that's a team that I don't feel can win a championship. Paul Westfell, Jeff Hornacek. So you have two guards that just they're shoot first kind of guards. They're uh-huh. ISO guards. They're mid-range yeah, guards. Like the they can't really pass the ball. You got Joe Johnson, who was who's decent at creating his own shot, but not so much. Oh, he's ISO Joe. Yeah, ISO Joe. Exactly. Uh, Tom Chambers. I mean. Again, an ISO guy. This is just all over the – I don't um, even Mari know. Stoudemire. So, I mean, just the fluidity of the team isn't there. And Team Cazell I really like because they have Kevin Johnson, Devin Booker, and Sean Marion as their backcourt. And those are three of, like, my favorite players. Like, Kevin Johnson is probably my favorite son growing up, and Sean Marion is my favorite son of all time. But then you have, like, Truck Robinson and Alvin Adams, and I feel like all of the speed, athleticism, and defense that you kind of have in the – the front or the back court, the front court just takes away because it's two dudes are just like, I'm living in the paint, dude. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. I'm not shooting anything. So, yeah. Plus, uh, the Gamble team and Jordan team, they have two number ones, like Steve Nash and Walter Davis, and then Barkley, and also I think Stefan Marbury. Like, that can be starters for any of these teams. So, I don't know. So I was right. Jordan wins. Gamble <laughs> looks very like a very sexy team. So I was right about that with uh, your points uh, or your percentages and who would actually do well statistically. Um, I'm glad I can catch that just by eye, you know, looking such at a, names. Such a nerd I am. Such a nerd I am. 
Well, that's all we have for this episode of the Suns Jam Session podcast. Again, thank you, Suns Jamsters, for hanging out with us. Don't forget to email the show with some mailbag questions so we can read those off for you. We always appreciate those. Session at gmail.com. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Darth Voida. You can follow Matthew on Twitter. At Matthew Lucy. Real quick, Matthew, there's one thing I forgot to talk about. What's up? Do you know what I've been watching every night for the past, like, three nights? What? Old what? Muhammad Ali fights. Oh, that's really awesome, man. I literally went back and say, saw that he won the, the title in 1964 against Sonny Liston. And so from that point on, I'm watching every fight that he went through in his career. Have you ever watched old Muhammad Ali fights? No, I have not. Just clips. But that would be man. very – I don't even know they had them. Oh, YouTube has freaking I mean, everything. I, yeah, I know. That, why would I even say that? Why would I even question whether or not they had those fights? Kind of kind of disappointed that you asked that question, <laughs> Matthew. Yeah. But. No, I'll, I can definitely get into that. I'll, yeah. I'll get into that right after um, I start stop watching the Black, the Black Death um, lectures on Amazon. Yeah. What the hell is that? <laughs> the medieval uh 14th century black death oh, it goes over it's 24 it's what it's 24 uh, 24 episodes 30 minutes oh my each god okay lectures about it but um but what were we gonna say sorry man nothing i was just those damn rats man that's that's you could do one episode like rats suck the end black plague yeah there's a lot more than that though Ooh, dude politics of 14th century belgium <laughs> Woo. <laughs> Jeez. Well, on that note, I'm done talking. And yeah, me too. Uh, <laughs> stay home and love your family. Amen. Take care, everybody.